1: The following podcast contains explicit language.
2: Welcome to The Waves for Thursday, September 20th, the end of summer Colin show. I'm Hannah Rosen, a host of NPR's Invisibilia. In the New York studios, we have June Thomas, senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Hi, June. Hannah. June.
3: <laughs> uh <laughs> and Noreen Malone of New York Magazine. Hi, Noreen. Hannah, I am thrilled that we are choosing to go by the solar calendar in marking the end of summer and not the, you know, school calendar as our child-driven society has dictated. And we're also all wearing white, even though we're after Day. so <laughs> screw that.
2: I am actually wearing white today. Oh. Hallelujah. Yeah. Well, I'm very astrological. I don't I know what tell. that means, I but tell. I just <laughs> said that. Yeah. Um, okay. So today is one of my favorite shows, our Colin show. Uh, we're going to answer questions from listeners including some recorded questions. And then for a Slate Plus segment, we'll answer an extra special question. So why don't we just jump right in and get going with a question from a listener, Kristen.
4: Hi, my name is Kristen. And I was calling to see if I, who am a woman, am at the gym and I'm using a squat machine with weights on either end of the barbell if a man comes up and asks me if I need help putting away the weight is that sexist? Thanks for the show. Bye.
3: I'm going to go with yes. <laughs> yes. Just off the <laughs> off the bat but but okay so here's my here's my one point of of question um maybe it's that when she's getting to the squat machine there are like huge weights there that she didn't put on herself however it's if it's the weight she's lifting herself that is ridiculously sexist well, I asked. I ran this by my very logical-minded
2: son, and his response was, "You, you have a missing piece of information, which is, is he helping everybody put the weights away? Yeah. So, is this just like Mr. Helpful Atlas Man who walks around the gym in a kind of clean y fashion and helps everyone just kind of clean it up and get their, you know, appropriate weight thing going? So, if that were true, then no. But can we just assume that's not? That's happening? not true.
1: <laughs> yeah." <laughs> Uh, and, and I have to say, like, I feel like we should be super, like, hey, guy, thanks for being all helpful. Because although I don't have a lot of exposure to um, male spaces, and many of the men that I work with are super helpful, like, it's something that I think, like, it's a message that we should encourage, like, hey, guys, be helpful. Because there is this clear thing that often happens where, like, when something, when there's something that needs to be done, women are going to volunteer to do it, even in a mixed sex space. So, like, you know, there's things I want to encourage, but also. Super, super sexist.
2: I'm just I just want to push back. I just want to try like I'm trying arguments on you guys. So but in a world where we weren't all like defensive and establishing a right to this space, because this is a kind of a male space, the kind of barbell squat machine space. So you actually should be conscious of the possibility of sexism in that space. So we're assuming this person's a little clueless in this like absent a kind of like consciousness about the state of feminism and sexism and all that. Could it would it like like seventy years down the road, can it just be a helpful act for one person who's a bit stronger to help another person put the barbells back the weights back?
3: uh, I don't think so. I mean, i I don't know she, she she's lifting those weights. I just keep coming back to that. like she's not some weak person who is overwhelmed by like this shocking piece of iron that she has <laughs> to deal with. She has come to the gym for the purpose of getting stronger and probably also to. Like, have some alone time. I mean, that's the thing that would bug me is, like, you're kind of doing your thing and some guy's just coming up and interrupting. And I think that's regardless of gender, someone interrupting. I don't know. I think it will always be annoying if, if yeah. not sexist. but. But I want to take us on a slight weights-related tangent. You know, you refer to this as a male space. And I've been thinking a lot about how the setup of gyms, they're so sexist. Like, the the sort of weight area in particular, there are, like, millions of these, like, small gradations of larger weights. And then there are always, like, one each of, like, the 10, 12s, and 15s. And, like, all of the women at the gym are, are sort of fighting over these one set of weights. And they, it's just, like so lopsided the way the gym is set up and the space is allocated it's like not fair i always assumed in new york there were infinite
2: varieties of gyms and you just went to the you know special lady gym or something which had you know eighty
3: three thousand different weights of smaller varieties oh i i go to a i go to a bargain gym on the pratt university campus so maybe maybe the issue is that i should pay more for my gymnasium yeah, but I see what you mean. I
2: have had that feeling that it's so powerfully There's like a men's space at the gym, and then a women's space where they have those giant yoga balls. You know,
3: <laughs> right? That's sort of set off to the side, and the yeah, feminine, exactly. They're, but there, yeah, there, yeah, there's totally just the assumption that all you want to do is like roll around in this giant rubber ball and work on your core <laughs> endlessly. Maybe I should do that. <laughs>
2: Which I kind of do, actually. Um, All right. Well, so we've all decided it's sexist. So give me a number for barbells.
1: I think it's a nine.
2: Yeah, I think it's a nine. Me too. Clean nine. Okay. Nine for barbells. Nines across the board. Clean
1: and jerk, a nine.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day. You're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
2: All right, on to the next one.
4: Hi, The Waves. My name is Elizabeth, and I have a dilemma for you all. My dilemma is this. So for almost my whole life, I've loved The Cosby Show. As a child, I thought it was hilarious. Then when I moved into adulthood, I rewatched it and, again, thought it was hilarious and also feminist. So it does frequently play on familiar 80s gender tropes. But despite that, Claire Huxtable is such an assertive, smart, and badass woman. And on the show, she's clearly respected and loved by a husband who does do a fair share in equitable parenting. So you can imagine my distress upon learning the truth about Bill Cosby. However, I recently discovered a way to stream it and <laughs> I've been watching it with my 6-year-old daughter who carries on the legacy of also finding it hilarious. My dilemma is will she hate us someday when I tell her about the real life Bill Cosby? Is it sexist to watch and love the Cosby show? I feel very torn between loving what I'm watching and also, when I choose to think about it, a deep sense of betrayal from Cosby himself. Anyway, thank you for considering. I'm really interested to hear what you think.
5: Okay.
2: Wow. I actually, I actually know two people in this dilemma. Hmm. One is a black man and one is a woman um, who feel extremely, extremely guilty about their love of The Cosby Show. What's extra amazing about this one is introducing The Cosby Show to your child um, so that you create a next generation of Cosby lovers. Uh, what did you guys think of this?
1: For me, the question is, isn't there something else suitable for your six-year-old? Like, I totally understand that a lot of what I know, and I, needless to say, I am not a parent, so a lot of my sort of thoughts on this are, are a little bit, well... Stuff I've pulled out of the air. But I think a lot of the time when we try to encourage the next generation to watch certain shows, we're really trying to kind of bathe them in the nostalgia of our own childhoods. And there are just, there are other shows that might also be amusing. I certainly understand that there's an extra need to provide images for six year olds, whatever their race, of happy black families, of of, you know, happy people. Um, and so there is definitely an extra element to the Cosby show. Um, I at the same time, I don't think that we need to bring Bill Cosby into children's lives. There are other shows, um, you know. Like the shows I'm about to mention I'm about to suggest are shows that are intended for adults, but so was the Cosby show. Blackish is a show that also has an interesting black family dynamic uh, that's also funny, I think The Middle and American Housewife are about white families that have interesting and fun and I think funny family dilemmas. Um and so I would just kind of counsel just, not putting your daughter through the whole Cosby conversation, that just doesn't feel that it's necessary.
3: Yeah, I feel like you are setting her up for the same sense of disappointment that you yourself have felt. Um But it is a hard one, right? Like, it, I think the Cosby show in particular for so many people has been hard. I mean, I, I did a bunch of reporting on on Bill Cosby and assault and part of the reason that was maybe easier for me to do is that i didn't have a relationship with the cosby show and i know for a lot of people there was a double disappointment not just this man but this like person that they had grown up with um and i don't you know like i i'm not one of these people who thinks that people should immediately like quote unquote cancel the art of of you know like you know i'm gonna go home and watch chinatown tonight true story um and i understand like wrestling with the art of someone who has done things you you find horrific but yeah i think setting your daughter up to to be disappointed in this person who she's grown to love is is not something that you want to do like i think you know have your own sort of relationship with it if you want but but sort of passing, it's almost like, you know, people talk about passing on generational trauma. And it, mm-hmm. it, I don't want to make it sound too serious, but there is kind of like a little version of that that's happening here. Yeah, it's funny. We, we've, this
2: has veered into less of a discussion about what's sexist and more of like an advice column mode that we're all in. But I still agree with you guys. I think this is about examining why you chose the Cosby show to watch with your child. And I think it's for the same reason that a lot of people choose shows. And it's what June said it's nostalgia. Like we want our children to. To love the things that we love. They have emotional resonance to us. It's an important thing to share with kids. But just be a little m- more like wide-eyed about what it is you're sharing which is what these guys said you're sharing a setup for disappointment Um, it's it's you can't not tell her ever this is more of a sort of when am I going to tell her if she continues to love the show then am I going to tell her and one day she's either going to read about it and be weirded out that her mom just like let like was just super into the Cosby show without saying anything or you're going to have to have the conversation with her so think about that like do do you want to have the conversation with her and what lesson do you want to teach her about, you know, why it is that some of these pillars in the culture who play something on TV can also be quite different in their personal lives, and what is the point of having a conversation like that with her if you can find a good point and make her wiser to the world, then you know do it. But but it's like it's a it's like it's muck you're stepping into. Um, now we do we think it's sexist though to watch and love the Cosby Show, which is a slightly this is this is the question like it, this is the big broad question of like the artist is a monster question, you know, how do we feel about watching movies and TV shows by people who have been, in this case, legally shown to be uh,
3: guilty of terrible behaviors towards women? I think it is on some level. Um, yeah, I mean, I just knowing the full context and still just sort of going in for it as a lighthearted thing, you are... Um, sort of working within a system that is sexist. And, and, and it's more like, uh, you know, the show was made by this person who was allowed to get away with all this stuff, right? So that is sexist. I also think, like, you know, people can allow themselves to, like, if you do it knowing that, you can allow yourself to, like a little sexism in your life is that is that a fucked up thing to say? Do you guys think? What well, do you mean? What do you mean? You mean like well, as an adult you can make a choice like I'm
1: gonna experience this work of art and I'm knowing everything or knowing as much as it's possible to know about the people or or who made it or starred in it uh, and then make yeah conscious decisions whereas a six that a six-year-old child cannot yeah
3: exactly like i know that this i know that this work of art was um you know sort of brought about by a system of sexism i i know that this man did these horrible things to these women and i i i condemn him for that and now now i'm not just talking about cosby i'm talking about polanski or whoever else you want to bring to the conversation and yet i still want to watch chinatown or the cosby show tonight like i i don't know uh it's I, i guess you can allow yourself that i think But that's a personal choice. So it's almost like we need a separate count for is it sexist for her to
2: watch it? And then is it sexist for her to let her child watch it?
3: Yeah, well, and there's
1: definitely a gendered element because we know that Elizabeth is talking about her daughter. Like the fact that the gender of the child comes into play, that that Elizabeth's gender comes into play, I mean, I think. These, these all show that this is something that we can consider on a sexist
3: scale. But it would also be super complicated also to raise raise a boy child sort of um, lionizing Bill Cosby and then yeah. have him discover. Like it's, it's just it's a landmine.
2: Okay. So we've we've all decided it's probably not a great idea except in limited circumstances to be watching and enjoying the uh the Cosby show. But um but what what about the is it sexist? How are we gonna how are we gonna give this one a number?
3: Yeah, I think to be able to set aside um the stories of what Bill Cosby has done and enjoy it, that is a sexist thing. So yes, I think it is sexist, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to, Noreen said that well, so I'm going to agree with her. I don't want to particularly put it on a scale, but I do think, yeah, I think that there's there's some sexism even in considering whether we should do this.
2: All right. Well, I'm going to give it a seven just because we feel protective of Elizabeth because she seems like a nice, thoughtful person. But- exactly. Yeah, I feel exactly. that way very strongly. Okay, exactly. yeah. Yeah. Me too, me too. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. Good. God, lots of agreement today, ladies. All right. We'll Next. stop that. Question. Don't worry. <laughs> stop it right away. This is from Liz.
6: Hi, my name is Liz. I had a question for the Son of Colin show. Um, Hawaiian shirts. I called last year about lockers. So I guess I tend to observe sort of pedestrian things, but I've noticed the guys at work all come in on Friday wearing Hawaiian shirts. So it's coordinated. Um, and I can't tell if that's just a casual and de facto coordination or if they have a little thing where they've all agreed to. You know, dress a certain way on Friday, but just doesn't seem to be things that a thing that uh, women do here or anywhere I've been. Hawaiian shirts have always been a casual Friday thing, mostly I've seen uh, amongst men. So, kind of curious. Uh, might not rate high in the sexist scale, but I'm wondering if it's on that scale at all.
3: Thanks. Lockers was an all-time great. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. Colin Liz is in our Hall of Fame. Is it sexist, caller
1: Hall? She's, yeah, she's got a, she's now, there's two, two things on her stand in the Hall of Fame now, so.
3: Well, and now she's blown the lid off the great Hawaiian shirt conspiracy that's been staring us in the face this whole time. I can't believe it.
2: I had a big fight in my house last night about this one. This one provoked the most controversy in my household. Uh, Because the boys in my house was like, nah, who cares? Hawaiian shirts, what's the big deal? And I was like, this is so sexist. This (laughs) is like a kind of sexism. That is so subtle and pernicious that it's not even funny. Those Hawaiian shirts, evil. E-V-I-L. <laughs> okay, walk me through your POV. Yes, yes. Okay, so here's my thing. This is the kind of behind a scenes clubbiness that in like it's it's a small way of doing a strip club it's like a small way of signaling (laughs) that there are things that happen behind the scenes which you are not a part of and which you will never be a part of so there's a whole world of kind of clubby you know golf coursey hanging out and coordination which the guys do that you're excluded from so partly this depends on power like i don't know who has the power in this situation so if it's like the the interns i guess it's not that big a deal. But if it's men who are your peers or above you, I, I do feel it's a way of signaling that you are left out. It also depends how many women are in the office. Like if if she's the only, like I was talking to a friend of mine who's from Texas and she, was, she, she worked at a big corporation in Texas where stuff like this, and now this was like 10 years ago, but was fairly routine. Like the guys would go out to lunch in certain places and it's isolating, but that's because she, there weren't hardly any women there so so i
3: guess it depends couldn't this just be fashion contagion like like you know (laughs) no seriously like one person wears something someone else is like that's cool like i wouldn't say that about a hawaiian shirt myself but like especially in the summer of justin bieber bringing them back like i think a lot of people are feeling that way right so i i you know work in a magazine where you see the women sort of wearing similar things all the time do i think like Everyone went in, in some broom closet in the, in the like cut section of the magazine. Don't you said. Have a fashion closet. <laughs> there is a fashion closet. Yeah. Do I think they all went in the fashion closet and like passed out like, you know, there's that mean girls line on Tuesdays. We wear pink. Do <laughs> I think that's going on? No, I think it's like people look around at what other people are wearing. I think men are now here. I'm going to. You know, do my usual painting with a broad brush. Men are particularly unimaginative when it comes to clothing. And like something like casual Friday where you have some latitude, I think, might strike fear in their hearts. They're like, what do I wear? Mm-hmm. One guy shows up in a Hawaiian shirt. They're like, oh, yeah, that's casual. It's Friday. It's yeah. Hawaiian shirt time. That is what I think is going on. Where I see sexism is like... What's the female equivalent of a Hawaiian shirt? I don't know. It's kind of like a beach vibe. You wouldn't wear like a sarong to the office. That's where I see the sexism (laughs) is in the like commitment to casualness, right? Yeah. I'm with you, Noreen. I think
1: it's more like a lack of imagination, a lack of options for men. And I think also that, you know, the that a woman could, if she possessed one and was willing to wear one in public, you could do it. Like, if you saw, hey, all the guys come in on Fridays in Hawaiian shirts, you could wear one. Um, You'd probably just choose not to because they're a bit dweeby. Um, I say as someone who does have some in my closet. um, Do you? Yeah, I've not worn them in years, but I do have some. Um, Because, you know, I've been to Hawaii. Cool, cool. Uh, But, uh, so I think that it's more just this idea of like, oh, it's a special day. I have to behave a certain way. This is causing me to panic. I'm just going to like essentially uniform. And as someone who uniforms, I don't see anything wrong with uniform. I will also mention that once when I was in Nigeria, we went to a business on a Friday and everybody, not just some people, but everybody was in traditional clothing. And apparently in Nigeria, Friday is traditional clothing day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's just that there's like, it's a it's a a not very clear not very clearly defined day, and so I think in the office where Liz works, it just so happens that the dudes all reach for the boring old Hawaiian shirts, and it probably seems like she works in Trader Joe's or something. But with nothing that's not that there's anything wrong with that. But I would also say, Hannah, that. I mean, the, the situation that you described where women are excluded because of, you know, social networks that women are excluded from, that is much more serious, much more different. Like a woman could wear a Hawaiian shirt. A woman couldn't just show up to the golf club. Um, I think that situation that you're outlining is extraordinarily sexist. And it doesn't sound like that's what's exactly going on here, at least not explicitly.
2: Hey, Liz, I I think that I would like for you to wear a Hawaiian shirt on Friday and just see what happens. Like, what if you get all the ladies together and tell them to wear Hawaiian shirts and we'll just see, like, if the boys are like, what the fuck? (laughs) Or if they just roll with it. And maybe that will help us answer the question.
1: And Liz, if you need to borrow one, just get in touch with me. I'll send you one.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what are we rating it?
1: Yes, no, I, th- I don't think it's sexist. I just think it's like it's, it's going to be sexist of me to observe that sometimes men are not very imaginative, uh, nor am I. I would I would say this is like a two.
3: Oh, I'd put it at least a four or a five because I think, you know, there is the way that clothing in offices plays mm-hmm. out is, is sexist. There, The choices are more complex for women. That's true. All right. I'm giving it
2: an eight because <laughs> I'm just like that. So now it's a 4.8. So, Liz, you landed somewhere in the middle. We got we got a big spread there. All right, let's move on to our next question
5: from Emily in London. Greetings from the UK, where I've been listening to your wonderful show for many years. My question is about the exciting experience of making new female friends in one's 30s. When my son was born a year and a half ago, I was very lucky that our prenatal group stayed close and offered a great support network through those early months of night feeding and babysick. Since then, we've remained close, but only superficially so. My issue is specifically to do with the dynamic of these parenting groups. Because the premise of our coming together was as a support network for novices, there remains an underlying notion that the discourse must, above all else, be non-judgmental and accepting, brooking no form of disagreement. Therefore, on the rare occasion when I have ventured, tentatively, towards questioning or disagreeing with these women, it has been read as an act of aggression— But I feel that for any friendship to develop, there has to be some exploration of ideas and feelings that might invite conflict. And this is especially true for me since I've become a mother, which has absolutely intensified my sense of being a political being. We never discuss politics, though I'm sure several of the group hold quite different views from mine. On a recent night out, our discussion circled back inevitably to our children in bland and I feel fake generalities. This is both boring and because these are all individually incredibly powerful, impressive, and intelligent women, a shame. Do I stay quiet and smile and nod or try to push the dynamic into more honest, rewarding, if potentially fraught territory? All right. So what we have here is a sort of
2: stepford wife-ish, not quite that harsh mommy group, where there's kind of enforced non-judgmentalness. And what this taps into is an idea that what that women have to be gentle or nice or what's what's the what's the problem here exactly
1: besides boredom. Well, yeah. So now I really want to hear more from you on this. Hannah, because you're the only one among us who has been in a group of people who had kids around the time that you did and had therefore the option or the possibility of being in a mommy group. But for me, my response to this is more like sadness for Emily, because I understand that when you get to a certain age, it really is hard to make new friends. Just a very, there are just a fewer places where that is likely to happen, fewer circumstances where you can meet new people. Work is an option, but especially if you're not in work at this minute because you're on maternity leave or something, it's extra hard. But I think that there's just no chance of this group becoming a source of friends because that's not what it's for. It's for support and help and advice from women who are in the same situation as you are with new kids. And. it it, it would be great. Maybe there would be one person or maybe more in that group who you might have a natural sort of affinity with that you might click with, but that would more or less be chance. Like that's not the purpose of this group. So I think you kind of do have to go along with whatever the norms of this group are. Like, sure, you could blow it up, but then you wouldn't have the support of the group anymore. I mean, maybe you decide that you don't really need it. That's fine. But I think that it, even though this group is more milk toast, more sort of bland, maybe politically not in tune with you, like that's it is a group for moms. It's not a group for friends.
3: But that's not what she's saying. I mean, that's so she describes the group dynamic as becoming sort of bland, but the women themselves is not being bland. So I sort of see more potential here than you do. Maybe I think maybe like the tactic that I would take is so she describes wanting to sort of have these political discussions politics is on her mind so urgently I feel like if you're in a group and you're talking about like you know nap times or whatever and someone is like Jeremy Corbyn or, or like you know whatever just like sort of it could feel jarring to to immediately want to have like a, a parliamentary debate you know um, I think instead a way that you could sort of like deepen the friendship is like okay so people want to talk about the mom stuff like try to break through to the like more complicated part of the mom stuff and like this is where I'm interested in hearing from you Hannah but like you know like get past the sort of platitudes this is great and not necessarily just do the like this is horrible mommy wants a drink kind of like mom bonding thing but but like talk about sort of the middle ground and like I don't know. This sounds this is about sounds so cheesy, but I feel like there have been so many books written in the past few years about the the like um more complicated parts of motherhood. You might like say, I read, you know, um, this Jenny Awful book. What do you guys think? Um, that kind of thing. But I would I would sort of push on the shared terrain before sort of expanding onto the other stuff.
2: Oh, you can try once, Emily, and then cut out like I have to spend you what you guys are, are missing is like the actual cost of being in a group like this, which is soul crushing loneliness and just kind of like the aggression that I personally feel when people enforce a blandness around parenting, which is totally interesting, and not bland in the least. And so when there's a kind of enforced, like, there's rules, and we're gentle, and we're only going to talk about certain things, I just feel it makes me feel so bad. And believe you me, there are lots of moms out there who do not talk that way and do not feel that way. So I'm with you guys. Like, you want to push this group once or twice, but if it doesn't work, then it's not your group. And find yourself another set of friends, which will happen in preschool, will happen somewhere else. You will find your mom people. There's no such thing for me. They never lasted past maybe two weeks like a mom group that wasn't also my friends. Like eventually you just find other friends who are mothers who think about child rearing like you do, like Noreen said, or who think about, you know, other things like you do. Because I do think there is something a little bit, I don't know if sexist is the right word, but the way in which there's a kind of enforced blandness around women's work i mean it's very old-fashioned like an enforced kind of like society face around the stuff that women do now there's been a huge backlash against that which is equally annoying which is like drunk mommy (laughs) alcohol mommy you know like all that it's not like that backlash doesn't exist but i think it's more just like 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 kindred spirit mom is the person you know and talk about parenting the whole time like i have some friends who I talk about the whole span of things with from children to books to work to blah blah, blah. and I have some friends who I mostly talk about kids stuff with but there's a lot of interesting things you can talk to about even very little children are interesting you just have to find the right people who who can think that way about the enterprise
3: that you're engaged in why do you think the blandness crops up so easily as like the first thing in these groups Is it just like no one knows each other that well? It defaults to some kind of a neutral? That's a really good question, because there's some part of me
2: that thinks it's like a gate kept up because there's a lot, <laughs> because it's scary. And I don't know mm-hmm. how new these kids are, but maybe it's like scary and chaotic and engulfing, mm-hmm. especially if these are like professional women. So maybe the thing that they're doing is like protecting themselves yeah. from from the chaos. And, and I suppose that's reasonable, you know, like they don't want to go there because they don't want to right. turn it into a kind of complaint. I have lost my whatever, like yeah. all the
1: kind of despair under the surface, that's possible. Yeah, that's that's what I would guess uh, from the outside, that like, I suspect that some people might be afraid of even starting to walk down a certain path, lest it lead to sort of negativity and kind of bad feeling when they feel that they need to be really positive to, you know, bring up children. Um, and so I think some people choose to just completely close off entire sort of, Entire ways of thinking, entire realms of consideration, which lends to leads to blandness. I suspect.
2: Can I do a teeny, teeny, tiny tangent here? I want to run this by you guys, you Please. New Yorkers. So my good friend here who is a yoga teacher so she is in you know frequent touch with people in their 20s says that the new thing that she has noticed is that women don't do the blandly smile polite thing anymore like like she'll say hey like welcome to class like the way she has she's been a yoga teacher for 20 years and people are like yeah Hey, like there's a there's a sort of like there's like a kind of tough face. It's like there's been a there's been a sort of protest against the blandly smiling obligation of young women. Have you guys noticed that? Uh
3: I, I have been protesting that for years. Uh-huh. I have been sitting stony-faced during uh, yoga greetings for years, so I don't know. <laughs> I haven't noticed because I've been staring down studiously so I don't have to make eye contact with anyone in a yoga studio. I don't know. That might be true. Um, wait, so she she lives in New York? No, no, no. She lives in D.C.,
2: but she just says, like, the young ladies today don't do the smile thing. Like, they, I, she has felt a sort of distinct resistance to to kind of to to, to smiling and, and sort of um smoothing the air among the women in her class. Like women are refusing to do that in a public space
1: now. So they're basically stopped they've stopped being polite and they're instead getting real. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I think that might be true. That's interesting. I mean, and is there value in that smoothing the air in a situation like a workout class where it's like a temporary community, Mm. but like community is supposedly part of what people are looking for? I don't know. I I go sort of go back and forth on those. I've always been intimidated by the people who have like yoga friends, you know, like that, that strikes me as alien, but also kind of nice. Not sure. Maybe yeah. there is. OK, change. well, so what we're
2: judging is, is it sexist to have an enforced smiliness in a mommy group?
1: Oh, this is hard because there's so much we don't know. I mean, I i just have the thing that I keep like getting hung up on is is like, how much do you need this group? Do you need this group because you have no other support for certain, you know, mom related activities? Do you? Do you feel so isolated that you just feel the need for any human contact and so you don't want to blow it up, even if you're really not getting what you need from it? And to if so, to what extent are the circumstances that cause that sexist? It just feels like it's a very complicated situation with a lot of things that we don't know. Uh, I feel comfortable saying that like the whole kind of, Enterprise of raising children is pretty sexist, so maybe we should just leave it at that. But I I don't know. I I feel I I find it hard to put a rating on this particular situation. It's funny we resist rating
2: something sexist because when women are creating it, I feel like that's a dynamic (laughs) operating because it's women asking us about the actions of other women. Uh And I think there's some like resistance on all of us to say like, yeah, all you mommy group people are sexist. I
3: think it's I think it's sexist. I think there's some sort of constraint that comes up out of like internalization of of rigid gender roles and so i think it's sexist. i'm willing to go on the record with a 6.
2: <laughs> all right, i'm giving it a
1: 7. i'm going i'm going to i'm going to abstain. i don't know.
3: okay. so 6.5. Mm-hmm. yeah. 6.5. 6. i didn't know we got to abstain. i can't <laughs> wait to use that. we get you only one? get one
2: abstention, okay. yeah. one abstention.
6: hi, my name is francis. And I was calling because my son, who's 22, a graduate student um, on Long Island, was out running one day. And as he was stopping, a middle-aged woman came up to him and said, what are late Because his shirt said, I run because I like latkes. And... He said, oh, it's like a hash brown. And she goes, well, it doesn't look like you need to run and ran her finger across his, across the word latkes, which was across his stomach. He was very upset, just turned around and ran, ran back to where he was going. So we had a conversation about it and he says that's sexual harassment. And I agree it's unwanted sexual contact or interest in him. But it, does it get termed under sexual harassment, or is this something else that I don't know what it's called? But it's—I suppose it's in the view of catcalling, which is harassment, but we don't deem it the same thing. As I listen to your podcast, I think you ladies are the people who can help me figure out how to what we should call this, um, and you could let us know on your show. Thank you very much. Bye bye.
3: Well, it's something else. Yeah. <laughs> Francis. Wow. Francis.
1: <laughs> Lust, lusty Latkes. That's a crazy story.
2: It sounds <laughs> like something um, out of a
1: TV show. It's like people watch. I never thought I would say this, but people watch too much television. Like the woman who did this, it, like she needs to start watching television. Right. So if you saw it on a TV show, it would be a funny scene. Especially if it was like from the Benny Hill show from like nineteen seventy five. You know, there's <laughs> a
3: But it would be a punchline and but this young man is feeling it as harassment. And I and I get what his mother is saying, right? It's like she's sort of saying Yeah, but the consequences aren't the same when you're a man who's sort of being hit on by a woman. Now, I would say this like goes above catcalling because Mm. there's actual, yeah, there's physical contact. I had kind of a revelation actually while listening to the Latka story because we've been talking in recent weeks about the sort of wave of female sexual harassers and whether sort of harassment hits men is hard. And, you know, there, there's that sort of like old meme or joke about like if, if men had periods, they would never stop talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I actually think it's like a good thing if men start sort of having what you might think of as overreactions to what they perceive as harassment for, by them. Because if men start taking harassment seriously, like that's a good thing, then then that will redound well for women. So I think like, yeah, let's not be afraid to let this guy call the Latka incident. harassment.
1: Yeah, I think it totally is. She like she touched him and she made him feel bad about his body. And I think she made him feel good about good. good, Yeah. Um, And like, yeah, it does bring me back to what we've been talking about in recent episodes about the female sexual harassers where the kind of possibility of like how much physical damage could be done, like how much fear the person is in, is different, But he clearly was very upset by this, very shaken by it. Um, so even though the element of fear is perhaps absent when women are, or physical fear, I should say, is absent when women are harassing men, it's definitely still harassment for me. Hannah, what do you think? Oh my
2: god, unquestionably, like un un unquestionably harassment. I mean, it's like our discussion on Avital Ronell. Like you mm-hmm. can't you know, the power the reason that it's not the same is because it's not clear not just the physical power dynamic, it is in the in the in the category of catcalling in the sense that these people have no relationship really. Like it's just mm-hmm. a thing that is happening on the street. So it's unclear who has the power it's because not an probably ongoing
1: power. It's not an
2: ongoing power play. She's older. um, um, But but and she has the power of like, you know, I don't know, no one would believe him or she could. yell. like there is some power that she has on the street, but he's a young man and probably physically stronger than her. But uh, but it's it's completely weird. And like, you can't go and touch another person's body and you can't touch a young person on the chest. And um, so, so it would be a joke, but I don't even, I'm not even sure you could put this joke on television anymore.
1: Yeah, I wonder about that. I do think it would be either in an old show or something that was meant to look like a flashback, um, or, a, yeah. Yeah, and
2: if we allow, like, harassment to be a subjective experience for women, then it has to be allowed to be a su- subjective experience at some level for men, you know, and I would find it disturbing if I were a guy and some, you know, woman came and ran her finger, ugh,
3: yeah. Yes. But so is it sexist that that people tend to not take harassment from men as seriously or is is the nature of harassment complicated by who holds the ultimate power in a society? Right. So that's kind of like what's happening. Yes.
2: The nature. Of, yeah. But but it's not totally complicated. It's just <laughs> yeah. somewhat. Yeah. Complicated. <laughs> yeah. 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 I
1: agree. Yeah. 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 Agreed. Agreed. yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the physical fear feels really relevant to yeah. me. And as you've as you discussed, Hannah, the the on you know the ongoing power situation. These are all relevant factors, but it's still clear to me that this is a bad thing. Yeah, that this is harassment.
2: We can't really rate it on an is it sexist scale, I don't think, but I think we can. We can say to Francis, "Yeah, we'd have to judge
1: our own sexism. Like, are we being sexist by even like having questions? Is this something that can be sexist? But we always fail when we when we rate our own sexism."
2: Okay. Well, Francis, we're on your your son's team. We're we're with him. He was harassed. We can say that much at least. All right. Okay. So let's move on to our recommendations. June, what do you have for us this week?
1: I am by the time you hear this, I'm in Japan, hopefully, uh, and. So, of course, I've been preparing by reading books set in Japan. And I read a book that I really recommend. It's called The Commoner by John Burnham Schwartz. And it's kind of about royal weddings and royal marriages. Um, the It's kind of a sort of fictionalized version of the life of Empress Michiko and, toward the end, Princess Masako, in the sense that uh, Empress Michiko was the first commoner to marry into the Japanese imperial family. And that is what happens to the character in this book. Um, and so there's a lot of like I don't know if it's having grown up in Britain, even though I of course, as I always mention in my multiple mentions of the royal family, I am a Republican, but there's still something really fascinating about those buggers. And so I was very fascinated by this book. And it's 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 uh it's pretty much internal, it's it's Largely written in the from the point of view of the first commoner, uh, and it's it's uh, and this oh and there's a scene which reminded me very much of the Crown, um, in season one of the Crown. There's that scene where she like w- whatever they call it, where she essentially has kind of a religious experience when she uh, you know receives the the grace of, of to be the monarch. And there's a, a similar scene which is uh, when. When the emperor becomes the emperor, when when the character's husband becomes the emperor, that I find absolutely fascinating and strange and bizarre. And I feel guilty for being fascinated by it. But I enjoyed it. The Commoner by John Burnham Schwartz. We are so literary this week. Um, I'm also
2: recommending a novel which I love, which is Less. Oh. By Andrew Sean Greer. That is a funny novel. Have you recommended it, June? No, but Julia
1: recommended it on the Culture Gap Fest and I have it on my list of books. She I bought it Uh, on the strength of that uh, recommendation, actually. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It is so funny. I mean, it won the Pulitzer Prize, which is a little surprising to me because um, I don't know, it's a it's a comic novel, but it just in in a kind of Death of a Salesman but not Morose sort of captures something about men today it's about a a gay man who's 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 about to turn 50 and whose lover is getting married and so he does everything he can to avoid that so it becomes a kind of anti-hero's journey as you follow him around the world through these sort of comic, uh, writerly um, conferences that he goes to. And some of it is just absurd. Um, but but in the absurdity are just these incredible insights about life. And um, it's beautiful. It's a really, really, del- like, not just beautiful, but just delightful, hilarious book to read.
3: That's less by Andrew Sean Greer. Okay, Noreen, what do you have? Well, I have another book. Sorry <laughs> about that. Um so it's out in a couple of weeks. I've talked about Tana French before on this show, my late in life session with her. Um, so she has a new mystery coming out, uh, The Witch Elm. And I think it's out October 9th. Um, and I shamelessly begged for an early copy um, and devoured it. Um, it's a little bit of a departure for her um, because most of her books have been sort of you see the mystery through the detective's eyes, and this one um, starts through a victim's eyes, which is sort of like an interesting twist that she's taking. It also becomes clear that the victim slash basically your narrator um, is an unreliable one. He ha- has memory issues, and then a sort of second crime comes along, and he's tied up in that one too. And so, I don't want to give too much away. Um, I think it starts a little bit slowly, but but the end is the is the you know the the sort of last. Two thirds is the Tana French that we know and love, with with um, a little bit of that departure away from detective world. So, if you're a Tana French person, like get rev your engines, get excited. <laughs> it's here, The Witch Elm.
2: Oh, I can't wait! Exciting. All right. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you to our producer, Danielle Hewitt. Thanks to Daniel Schrader for production assistance and to our production assistant, Alex Barash. You can write to us at at slate.com, or you can tweet at us at our individual accounts at June Thomas, at Noreen Malone and at Hanna Rosen. For June and Noreen, I'm Hannah Rosen and The Waves will be back next week.